0: Uh, let's pray together, and uh, let's ask for God's blessing on our time, shall we? Lord God, we come before you tonight, and uh, we are grateful that you are God, that you forgive our sins, you put them as far as the east is from the west, and we do, we do indeed confess to you our sins tonight uh, with our mind, with our hearts, with our eyes with our attitudes, by what we've done and by what we have left undone. But thank you that you are the same Lord, and it is always your property to have mercy through Jesus Christ. So guide us tonight uh, as we seek to know you and worship you, and uh, uh, bring our hearts closer to you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. All right. Uh, Let me talk a little bit about how... um, I became interested in the trustworthiness of the Bible. Uh, that's kind of the, the the topic for tonight, specifically the trustworthiness of the New Testament. Uh, but let me talk to you a little bit about about how that how that came about. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, I was raised in a very un-Christian home. Uh, I was born in the Dominican Republic uh, in the Caribbean. I don't know how many of you guys know uh, the DR. Um, and uh, we were very nominal Catholics uh, Which meant that we did First Communion And did Catechism uh, But that was about it You know, Maybe on Easter you would go to church Easter Sunday or something like that um, And our family uh, started to break apart um, So that when I was uh, about 11 My parents got divorced uh, And uh, everything sort of fell apart my mom uh, moved to South Florida, to uh, the States, uh, where it was easier for a, for a single Hispanic woman to make a living. Uh, and my brother and sister, my older brother and sister, also came with her to South Florida. And I was also to come, but I had to stay for three more years in the DR with my father. So after the divorce, um, they changed my school. Uh, they changed my neighborhood, and they took away my mother and siblings. So my whole life just sort of fell apart. Uh, and then uh, when I would go to Florida, uh, before I, I moved there, I would miss my dad. And then when I would be in the DR with my dad, I would miss my mom and siblings. So, so life wasn't, uh, wasn't, was pretty bad uh, and when I permanently moved to Florida, shortly thereafter, all of, I started acting all that stuff out. All of it started to, to just spill out. And uh, when I was about 15, I joined a gang uh, in, in South Florida. Uh, people say, I can't see you in a gang. Well, yes, uh, <laughs> many years ago. And, so, and my brother, who was about 23, became a drug dealer. So things just kept getting worse in my family. And my mother remarried. And I didn't want to sit here married to anyone but my dad um, So so things were really bad And I joined the gang And that's where I sort of Started, uh, started Was very violent um, uh, Not not a good situation At all And it all sort of came to a head Where uh, I, I got in, in trouble at school And I was suspended for 40 days Which essentially was you failed the year And my mom said Okay you're going back to the Dominican Republic. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I'm not going back. You're going back to the Dominican Republic to finish your last two years of high school. So I moved over there, uh, back with my dad, and a lot of things changed. I was at violence, that, that just wasn't the vibe there. The vibe was partying. You know, not, you know, just just partying, having a good time. And so by the time I finished high school, I was going out about four four times a week and drinking and uh, doing drugs just about all the time. And my life was just a complete mess. Uh, I didn't, didn't want anything to do with God, uh, just nothing. Uh, very, very liberal. Well, when I finished high school, I moved back to South Florida, and something had happened while I was gone. And that was that my mom had become a believer. She went to an evangelical church, to a Bible church, uh, uh, the first time, And the very first time she heard the gospel, she gave her life to Christ. And she said, you know, why hadn't someone told me about this before? So God really got a hold of her life. And then God got a hold of my sister's life. So when I came back, that was kind of, they were different. Things were different. Uh, But I didn't want to live with my mom. I was, you know, 18. And uh, I wanted to hang out with my brother. I mean, that's where the fun was. That's where the partying was. And my mom said, well, you can live with your brother with one condition. And uh, my mom is a tough Hispanic woman. When she says one condition, you better be ready to meet that. She said uh, that on Sundays, you come to church with, with us. And I'm like, that's it? You know, okay, that's what, you know, it's a good deal for me. Well, the problem was that Saturday nights was a big party night. So you'd be out until, you know, three or four in the morning. And then you wake up all hungover the next morning. And then my mom would call and I would disconnect the phone at my brother's house. And then she would actually show up and just knock on that door and and get me to go to church. Anyways, I went to church and I would just be all hungover, antisocial. I mean, 18 years old. You know how 18 years old can be. Hopefully you're not. Right. But, uh, uh, but, and I would just sit in the back pew at the very end. And uh, But you know, something, a couple of things started to hit me. Uh, the first thing was the, The unity That I saw Amongst the people in the church It was a Hispanic church With people from All over Latin America With different foods Different accents And yet Man they had this This great relationship uh, And unity And I could see it You know sometimes When there'd be like a cookout Or something I would go uh, And just the love They have for one another It just struck me Like These people have something That That I wish I had If I were honest with myself. And then the second thing is, the more I went, I started to hear the gospel. I wasn't expecting that. But I started hearing Sunday after Sunday about how much God loved me. Uh, And I felt really dirty inside. Uh, I felt very sinful and very unworthy. And then I just kept hearing Sunday after Sunday that Jesus Christ condescended to become flesh took on the cross for me, and uh, was willing to forgive me, and, and hold me down, and wash me from all of my sins, and so the love of God, thats not, not, I, ne- I never heard anything like that in my life before, and God just uh, wooed me that way to himself, and so I became a believer, um, and God changed my life. Some things change immediately other, other things slowly I guess they're still changing <laughs> They're still working Then my brother um, Listened to the gospel And he quit his uh, being a drug dealer And he's a pastor now In South Florida uh, So the Lord just really touched our family The only one who's still not a Christian Is my mom uh, Excuse me, my dad My mom was the first um, And God really got a hold of my life And Having met the Lord uh, and being in a church where the Bible was read and studied, I began to ask questions. I began to ask, okay, if my life is going to be based on the God of this book, uh, I want to get to know this book. And uh, immediately a bunch of obstacles began to come in. Uh, I was kind of independent in, in my way of thinking. So I always ask the, the embarrassing questions um, in Bible studies and things like that. And, uh, and uh, I just, I went on a journey. It was a journey of trying to know, why should I trust? Uh, why should I trust the Bible? Um, and that journey, uh, along with a call from God very shortly after I converted, led to, you know, uh, university and seminary and eventually uh, a PhD in, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom. Um, and, uh, so I want to just share with you a little bit of that. Uh, of, of what the journey has looked like, and, and, and hopefully uh, help you along the way. Um, one of the things, or one of the reasons why a lot of people find stumbling block in the Bible uh, is because they don't know what the Bible actually is. I'm convinced that a lot of people, even people who come to church and who've been in church for years, don't actually know what the Bible is. A lot of people think the Bible is just a a book of rules you're supposed to follow, Uh, but they have a very simplistic, uh, just like I had, a very simplistic understanding of the Bible. And what I have found in my own life, and I have seen in the lives of others, is that uh, the best apologetics... Is a clear description of what the Bible is. The best apologetics is to let God speak through the Bible, to try to remove some of the obstacles that get in the way, uh, and that way, allowing the Bible to speak clearly and openly to us. So I just want to talk for a couple of minutes about what the Bible is, um, just, just maybe to uh, delve a little deeper Um, So what is the Bible? The Bible is, uh, if I were to to give a a very concise definition, would be the Bible is God's word written. Uh, The word Bible, biblos, that's where we get uh, book from. Okay, book. So the Bible is a book. It is God's word written. It is a revelation of God in written form. The Bible. Now that assumes something. The moment you say that it is God's Word written, it means that God speaks. The assumption is that God is not silent, but that God rather has chosen to speak to humanity. God has chosen to unveil Himself to reveal himself to speak to humans and that is an act of grace he didn't have to speak to humans but he has chosen without any coercion on our part uh, or any merit on our part he has chosen to speak to humanity now there's a tension in that la- in that uh, language that i've just given you god and humans the question is this how can the infinite god how can almighty god who is all wise, uh ineffable how can he speak to mere creatures such as you and me there's a tension for a lot of people a lot of people don't believe the bible because they cannot accept that a transcendent god and by transcendent i mean uh, he's above our understanding, above the heavens and the earth, that a transcendent God can break through and communicate to people like you and me. So right out of the gate, they would say, no, that's just not possible. You know, Uh, and and, and they would also say, you know, if God's going to speak, he's not going to use human language. So they say the way you meet God is in your pre-reflective consciousness. See, God is not about... Uh, God speaking is not about Objective human language That you can understand But it's rather an intuitive Feel that you have Uh, Because God is God He cannot speak in human language Well but that's not what the Bible itself says When we say that the Bible Is God's word written We are saying that the Bible is written by humans I would suggest that the Bible Is written by humans In such a way that it is Faithful to what God has told those humans to write, you could say, "Well, uh, to err is human. Man, humans wrote the Bible, therefore the Bible is prone to error." Right? By the way, there's a problem with that with that argument because to err is not human. When God created humans before the fall, did He create humans to err and to sin? No, so true humanity, is looking more like Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, humans are inherently sinful. Oh well, yes, we're the children of Adam and Eve, so we are sinful. But true humanity is actually pre humanity is less. It's not sinful. Uh, but anyways, uh, God God speaks in the in the in uh, in the language of humans. He condescends. To address us in the language that we can understand. In the language that we can understand. Now. uh, That means that. Even though we understand God. We are not going to understand God exhaustively. Okay. How many things do you know exhaustively? Very. very. Yeah. Right. So you start. You start digging deeper. Right. You say. Well I have a. Water, okay? What is water? You know, H2, you know, whatever. And you start digging deeper, molecules and this and that. But you cannot give an exhaustive explanation of water. So if you cannot give an exhaustive explanation of the created things, how could you give an exhaustive explanation of the uncreated things of, of, of God? So uh, when God speaks to us in human language, we can understand him. But we cannot understand him exhaustively. Okay. Uh, And also the fact that. God has written. uh, Has given his word in human language. Means that God has to address us. In various ways. So that we can. uh, So that we could understand him. So. uh, Think about. How you can speak about love. Okay. I want to speak about love. So you can speak about love in many ways. You can uh, write a novel that captures the essence of love. You can write a history that talks about the love of two individuals or a family. You can write a poem that talks about love. Right. So there are many ways uh, that you can uh, address a subject. And the more ways, the more comprehensive the way is your going to be your understanding of that subject? So God, when He addresses us in Scripture in human language, He addresses us in various ways in Scripture, which we call genres. Right? That's an uncomfortable word. Uh, French uh, genre. So it's a type of writing. Right? So when you read the Bible, uh, you find uh, poetry. Right? There is something about God that prose cannot communicate, but poetry can. You find history uh, because God works in history. You find law, the, the first five books of the Bible. You find letters. Uh, you find wisdom literature, you have find apocalyptic literature, that we are symbolic language, especially in the book of Revelation. So uh, the fact that God addresses us as humans through human language means that He uses, excuse me, all the tools that humans have, in order to communicate himself to us. And that means that he uses genres. And that means that in order for you and I to understand the Bible. Remember what I'm getting, here, what I'm getting at here is that one of the reasons that we fail to trust in the Bible is because we don't understand the Bible. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, explain a little bit of what, what it is. And the Bible comes in many genres. Okay, And you have to be competent in that particular genre to understand what, what they're saying. Right? So you bring someone who, uh, who doesn't know the English language too well. Uh, and have them read a poem from Shakespeare. Forget it. <laughs> Give me something else. You know? You have to have competence. Or you go try to read a mythical tale in Spanish. If, you don't, you know, if Spanish is not, it's not your language. You know uh, or if you speak little, you won't get it. so in order to to understand what God is saying we need to uh, we need to be competent in that language because here's a key God wrote the Bible to the original people who got it, even though he also wrote it for us. Uh, I've heard it explained by a former professor this, this way the Bible was written to us, but not for, uh, excuse me, the Bible was written uh, for us, not to us. For us, but not to us. So, so, so here's a question. When, uh, when, when God gave the book of Genesis, uh, he wasn't writing to people with the 21st century, right? Now, it does speak to us in the 21st century, because it's the word of God. But he was writing to people who lived where? Where? The Middle East, 3,000 years before Christ. Um, and here, here I come, 21st century American, and I, to think that I'm just going to open the book of Genesis and understand that just like that, uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, you say, well, man, that makes it so difficult, you know? Well, who's, who, where did you get the idea that, I'd be, that it'd be easy and simple? See, that's our American way of thinking. You know, Americans, we want to make everything simple and practical and easy. Uh, but that's just not reality, right? So, God speaks in different genres, and those genres are ancient genres, on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, they, it means that they're different from the way that we understand genres today. So, poetry, for example, in the Hebrew, is not a rhyming poetry, If you talk about poetry in English, it's usually, there's a rhyme to it many times. Uh, But poetry in the Hebrew Bible has nothing to do with rhyming. See, the rules of poetry in the ancient world and poetry in the contemporary world are different. So for you to understand what God is actually saying, you need to learn competence in those particular genres. And when people don't learn the competence, that's when they make huge mistakes about the Bible. And then then they end up not believing the Bible, uh, but not because the Bible is unclear, but because they're coming to the biblical text with the 21st century spectacles. And then, uh, you know, so so they would say something like this. Uh, You read Genesis, and it says, uh, uh, God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. (laughs) Preposterous. We know that the human body is 70% water. What are you saying that Adam is made out of? This? Yeah, you, you see, the Bible is not true. You know, people back then could believe that, but we know better today. We have come of age. We understand that. Is that really what? Is that really what Genesis one is about? Is God telling you how He created humans and how He created the universe? How many pages do you think we would need if God were to describe uh, how He created the universe or humans? And all we have in Genesis is a couple of chapters. So what God is trying to tell you is that indeed He did create the universe. He did create humans, but He's not telling you how He created them. right? The fundamental thing of Genesis 1 is that God created humans in His image. So what about the dust of the earth? All He's trying to say there is, uh, even though you're made in the image of God, I'm God and you're not. Okay, Uh, I'm transcendent, you're just there. I love you. I'll send my son to die for you, but you're dust. You know, what do we do with dust? We wash it off, dirt, uh, and so on. So a lot of people read it that way, and they don't understand that the the original readers of the Bible, those to whom the Bible was written to, would not have read it in a scientific way. Because, do they know about science? No. Not in the way that we do. And do you think that God, when he writes the Bible, he's only going to be thinking about you who live in the 21st century and not those who live in the 1st century? How arrogant of us (laughs) to think that he's going to encode some hidden meanings in the Bible that the original readers couldn't pick up because they don't really matter, you see. But we in the 21st century, after the Enlightenment, yes, we could pick it up. No, it doesn't work like that. The Bible was written for us, not to us. So I think when you start to understand that, when you start to understand that the Bible is the Word of God, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that the Bible is the Word of God, but that it was written for a specific period of time to specific people in a specific region of the world, uh, that opens your eyes uh, and it gives you a sense of humility uh, when you come to read the Bible. Okay, uh, I think that's that's very important. So. To sum up here on what the Bible is, the Bible is God's Word written, which means that God uh, does not want to be silent, but He wants to speak to us. But for the transcendent God to speak to us in a way that we understand, He has to employ human language with all all that that means, the imprecision of human language and and all that, right? Uh, And so, uh, because the Bible was written to people who lived in a particular time, in their genres, it behooves us to try to understand those genres. That's why you have your pastors, your teachers in the church, commentaries, all kinds of books for that. Okay. Now, let me move from the nature of the Bible. I just have a few more minutes here, <clears throat> but on the nature of the Bible to an application of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. The New Testament. This is this is sort of my field of, of study. Um, I, I try to apply what I have been saying uh, about the Bible. When I started going back to sort of my journey, uh, I believed the Bible because God had spoken to me through it. It just moved me in a way that nothing had moved me before. And, and God changed my life. I believed the Bible. So I had faith. But I was seeking understanding. I had faith seeking understanding. Um, and one of the big obstacles for me was that were the four Gospels. Okay, I began to read the Gospels. And then I would read that uh, Matthew says that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And then I would go to the Gospel of Luke and I would see the same Sermon and it would say the Sermon on the Plain. Wait a minute, is it on the Mount or on the Plain? And then uh, I would read about uh, uh, Jesus cleansing the Temple. And I read Matthew, Mark and Luke and he cleansed the Temple at the end of his ministry. But then I read the Gospel of John and he cleansed the Temple... At the beginning of his ministry. So which one was it? Uh, then I will see an event that in the Gospel of Luke is put in the middle of Jesus' ministry. But in the Gospel of Mark, is put at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it clearly was the same event. Then I go to the, <clears throat> to the crucifixion. And then uh, John says that one of the last words of Jesus was, it is, it is finished. But when I go to the, gospel, to the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he says... There's no, nothing of that. So man, that's so beautiful. <clears throat> it is finished, Your sins are atoned for. Why, would, you know, if he really said it, why would Matthew, Mark, and Luke not have Instead, they have, "Into thy hands I commit my spirit." So I began to read these things in, in in the four Gospels, and and it got to a point where I was in a crisis. I, I was just in a crisis. Um, and and that led to to asking a number of questions, and the question was this. Um, How was history Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John Are are history That's their genre How did history differ In the first century From history in the 21st century How did people write history Back then As compared to us In the contemporary period That eventually led to a PhD (coughs) Uh, Concentrating on the book of Acts And 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 comparing the book of Acts and part of the Gospels uh, to ancient history, and comparing it to modern history, here's, here are some of the things I found. Uh, and let me try to get at it by by using an illustration. Uh, suppose I wanted to write a history of the Iraq War. I live in the twenty first century, and I want to write a history of the Iraq War. As a modern man uh, writing a history chronology would be very important for me. That's how, I mean, isn't that the way we're taught history in school? You have to learn all those dates. (laughs) Uh, And and I would begin, you know, uh, when when were the first overtures that the Americans were going to invade Iraq? And uh, now, you know, when did the president actually declare war? When was the first uh, bomb drop? When did did it finish? I want to have, as a modern person, I want to have all the little, all the dates... Precisely about when it happened, chronology What if I would tell you that in the ancient world, in history, chronology was very secondary What if I told you that in the ancient way of writing history, as exemplified in the gospels um, As long as you had a very broad chronology The specifics were not as important That's the case and as I read that, I remember thinking, oh, okay, now I, th- this is easier now. So, I am obsessed with having a very precise chron- chronology of the Gospels, but the Gospel writers don't seem to be that interested in that. Why should I fault them? for? Why should I say that they're writing false history? Just because they're writing different history. You see? So, there is a difference. Chronology in the ancient world did not matter, uh, whereas... Uh, the more important thing was a theme. So you could play with the, I don't, I'm not going to say the dates, but as uh, within, within reason, you could play with the events in order to clarify a theme that you wanted to clarify. So when you read the Gospels, for example, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew presents, like a good teacher, his Gospels in blocks. Alright? So uh, chapters 5-7 to is the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount chapters 8 through 9 is healings of jesus and he puts them all together in one block because he's after a particular theme whereas in the gospel of mark or the gospel of luke he doesn't want to emphasize necessarily jesus as a teacher so he would uh, spread those events out see chronology is not as important as uh, as theme let me give you another example uh going back to the iraq war uh You would be, probably as a modern person, very interested in the events. Uh, What happened? Um, In the ancient world, in history, there was much more interest in the person. In the person. So, uh, you would uh, package things in such a way that who that person is would come uh, to the surface. Let me give you a third example. If I were writing a history of the, modern, of the Iraq war as a, as a, as a modern person, uh, and I wanted to know what the president said or what the general said before the attack, I want a transcript, right? I mean, I go to Google, go to Yahoo, and I want a transcript of what the president said exactly. What if I told you that in the ancient world, quotation marks didn't exist? They didn't exist, Okay? Uh, And what if I told you that in the ancient world, what mattered was a summary of what the person said and not a transcript of what the person said? Uh, Remember, there weren't tape recorders, right? So someone has said that uh, the ancient historian can be compared uh, to a photographer. In modernity, in our period, the writing of history is like taking a photography. It's a picture. Transcript. Transcript. Chronology, everything perfect. In the ancient world, a historian was more like a painter. Right? Who sees an event and sees that event and gives you their impressions in painting. So history is much more impressionistic than it is today. So which is better? The modern way of history or the ancient way of history? I don't think it's a question of which is better. I think it's a question it's just different. Right, Uh, Some people could care less about chronology. They just want to know what the main things that happened were. So you might like ancient history better than modern history. You want to know about the people involved in the events more than the events themselves. So maybe uh, ancient history is easier for you than modern history. And so on. So there is an example of Trying to understand the Bible in its own terms, and that way being able to go over some of the obstacles that otherwise would come into play when you read the bible okay and that was immensely helpful for me when i when I realized ah it's just it's just a different way of writing history um, and, uh, and by the way, here but okay, just just a couple more minutes, and I want to have time for questions for you all. Uh, but it was funny, I was listening to a, a, to a, a scientist uh, who, who was raised in, uh, in, in Africa, in East Africa, and uh, talking to some of the people there uh, about a story and uh, how he said the, the, the storytellers would begin uh, in the middle of the of story, in media res, to use a Latin phrase, in the beginning. And he'd be like, okay, I want to hear a chronology. <laughs> how did things begin? And then how did it develop? And what was the end? And the guys would just begin in the middle. And then they would go to the end and then come back to the beginning. But at the end, it was beautiful, you see. It was, they had different values when they, when they wrote history, when they told a story than we perhaps in the West have, you see. And what I am suggesting to you is that when you approach the Bible as it ought to be approached, as it demands to be approached. Without a snobbery that I'm in the 21st century. And I know better than people in the ancient world. I suggest to you that that would remove a lot of obstacles. Okay let me close then quick with the Bible and proof. Uh, Prove to me that the Bible is the word of God. Uh, if you come to the Bible with that attitude. You will never have enough proof. You will never have enough proof. Why? Because the particular nature of the Bible. The Bible is God in communication. It is God unveiling himself. Can you put God in a tube and test him in the way that you test an enzyme or a cell or a molecule? You cannot. God is not just any old object that you can detach in a detached manner uh, look at Dissect And then come to a verdict Whether he's true or not That's not who God is uh, God is above us He's over us uh, We cannot control him Or manipulate him It's the other way around He controls you and he manipulates you Well manipulate is not the right word But he controls you And, and he tells you what to do basically In his word And so Our ideas in modernity, especially if you're a very scientific person, that the way to discover whether something is true is to form a hypothesis, right? Uh, detach yourself as much as possible from that hypothesis, because you don't want your own feelings to get in the way. Uh, You want to be totally objective. Um, That's not the way you go about learning the truth of God. It is more like this. If I ask the question... Does your mother love you? Prove that to me. How will you do it? Would you drive 3,000 miles away from your mother? Well, maybe you feel like doing that sometimes. Uh, and then, in a very objective and detached manner, start looking at your mother? Or will you need to feel her love? Would you need to be close to her to let her love come over you? When she comes... Nurses you and cares for you and sacrifices for you and loves on you. That's the way you can answer whether my mother loves me or not. The only way you can know whether God is true is if you listen to God. You say, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not scientific. Uh, it's not scientific in the way that we think in the modern world. But If God is the object, you cannot uh, uh, detach yourself from him and try to come and reach a verdict on your own. You need to come and open your heart to him when you read his word. Uh, Come with faith. And when the faith is lacking, which by the way happens all the time. Uh, One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is, I believe help my own belief. Okay, um, if you come to him asking him to help you, he will talk to you, and he will change your life. And ultimately, that is a proof that is deeper uh, than than many other proofs that you can garner, because it means that we put ourselves under the God of the Bible, and therefore under the Bible, not over the Bible, over the God of the Bible. All right. Questions or thoughts? Uh-huh. Ultimately, how important do you think it is to have these um uh, facts and the reliability of the Bible as proof to go along with the faith? Yeah, um I think it is important um I think it is important to know, quote-unquote, facts about the Bible in order to prepare the way to remove some unnecessary obstacles, you see. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, like, like we said, uh, my, my frame of, of thinking is totally scientific. And so is yours, probably. I mean, we live in a scientific world. And and when we think about truth, we we tend to think about truth solely in scientific terms, Um, but uh, uh, and and that's a problem. I think Um, I think this is this this what I'm about to tell you really changed my life uh, in many ways. Um, In order to know if something is objective. You need to study that object according to its nature, not with a, not with a nature outside itself. So, 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 so here's a question. Here's an example. If you're going to study a painting, you need the tools of art criticism, because the object is a painting. The object dictates the way you study it. If I'm going to study a cell, then I need the scientific method And I need a microscope And so forth and so forth You see The problem with a lot of people Is that they They take the scientific mentality Of, of, of The scientific method Of seeking the truth about something And they apply They apply it to all objects You cannot do that That's what I was getting at With the question Does my mother love me I cannot ask that question uh, Scientifically I cannot prove that I mean I just can't You see, the object determines the way that you approach and study the object. And if the object is God, then that demands that you study God in a way that is different from the way that you study science. Now, that doesn't mean that God is therefore unprovable or that, you know, we just throw our intellects. I beg to differ. Some of the greatest intellectuals have been believers. Believers. So does that help uh okay good uh-huh Yeah, uh I mean the diff- I don't think the difference is that is the 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 age uh, is that much different I think it's just uh 10 20 years. Uh I think to re- to to be remembered is that uh probably from the very beginning of G- of Jesus ministry you had uh written traditions by the apostles by the followers close followers of the apostles. Uh and and you know, so 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 there was access to all that when now John's gospel is different from uh, from, from the synoptic gospels in that sense, but uh, 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 it's it's just a different approach. Uh, it's, it's a truthful approach, uh, but uh, John focuses in a more direct way on the deity of Christ than the other gospels. The other gospels are more indirect. On that, but look at the way that John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was and the Word was God. It's like an overture in a in a symphony, right? They tell you they, they present all the motifs to you right at the beginning, and then you know that's the way that the Gospel of John is. So, so no, I don't think that that. I mean, look, uh, we're willing to trust uh, the histories, uh, you know, of some Roman uh, Roman authors who are writing about events that happened two to three hundred years. You know, before uh, before before they they lived. So, the the New Testament is remarkably contemporary. The writing of the New Testament is remarkably contemporary with the events that are described in the New Testament. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think that that's you know that's a that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Any other questions, thoughts? I don't know. Yeah. 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 And of course, you have all these other things that are out there. Some of them are obviously not. Uh huh. The synoptic gospels, or with the writings of the apostles. Yes. So there are some that I've heard, and people say, like, "Well, why not this one? Why not this sure, one?" Because sure. Sure. I think that's an excellent question. Uh, the, I think when you read the the Bible itself, you get a sense of what books. Okay. Let's think about it this way. The New Testament is the written testimony of the apostles. Okay? The New Testament is the written the authoritative because apostolic the authoritative written witness of the apostles, okay? And so you have sort of rules for what books could be in the canon. It had to be by an apostle or by someone who was very close to an apostle. So Luke, for example, was a companion of Paul in the book of Acts. And therefore, like you mentioned, Hebrews is more difficult because it's an anonymous book, right? And so who wrote it? And so in that case, uh, two things I think happened. Uh, uh, first of all, how what kind of an impact was this book having in the different communities? See, some people say, the church made the canon. Not true. Uh, without a canon, there cannot be church. Uh it's as, as these books are read in the different contexts, in the different churches, uh, I would say that the Holy Spirit begins to have an impact on these people that this is the Word of God. And you say, well, that's subjective. Well, I mean, we're humans. We, <laughs> we have to be subjective at some point, you know. Uh, but also, do, does it keep to the rule of faith? Right? And one ancient author, Irenaeus, for example, in the second century, he talks about the rule of faith, which is uh, Jesus Christ is the incarnate God, uh, who died and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. So that's kind of the core of Christianity. Does this writing, is it uh, in line with that? Uh, does it come from an age where an apostle or a close companion of the apostles could have written? Does it go by the, by the regula fide, the rule of faith? Uh, so those are those are some of, some of the... Um, but you know, I mean, there, there has been debate on that. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation... Uh, did not want to accept james as a canonical book you know because he said this book teaches salvation by works uh, i think luther was wrong i think that is an incorrect reading of james but but here you have someone who was an excellent christian and struggled with that and was even <laughs> i mean i don't think uh, martin luther could be accepted in many churches today <laughs> but uh, because of that but uh, but yeah yeah that's that's a good question Let me just say something uh, real quick because I think where you guys are at at, at college or university at a a very intellectual level an intellectual place one of the biggest questions is science and the Bible. You see? To me that's one of the biggest questions. And uh, uh, personally I'm going to tell you what I personally believe. Uh, I think that the Bible is not a scientific book. It's not a book about science. Remember what Galileo said the Bible tells you how to go to heaven know how the heavens go. Okay, it tells you how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. And so, uh, when you understand that, when you understand, especially in the book of Genesis, that is God is not trying to tell you uh, literally uh, how it all went down. He tell you, he's telling you it went down. I made the world, right? But he's, But like I said, if he was going to give us a literal description of how he created the universe, how many pages would it take? And were those Hebrews in the you know two thousand years before before Christ were they going to understand it heck we don't understand it if he told us you know in a in a hundred in a century from now will they understand it you see so when you understand that when you understand that it gives you freedom in science to let science tell you what the process was and so thereby you don't have uh, now if you're going to come to me and say you know I am a uh, all the way uh, Dar- Darwinist that doesn't believe that there is any order, that there is no, uh, that it's just, you know, s- survival of the fittest. Well, I think that is incompatible with Christianity. But I don't think uh, the idea that creation was a process, God directing that process is incompatible with Christianity. The Bible tells you that God created in his image humans and that he created. He doesn't tell you how he did it. Who are we to tell him how we should be done? He has freedom to do it so that uh, you can sit I think for the most part in your biology classes uh, in your geology classes and learn from that and it doesn't mean that you have to throw the Bible away to throw your faith away see I think this is very very important uh, and I, I you know I remember hearing someone saying uh, if you know if God didn't make the earth in you know six literal days like that I cannot believe the Bible so you're putting Shackles on God? Um, why? You know. So, anyways. So in, in my Bible, when I read sometimes, it's got a little <laughs> number on a verse, and I go to the bottom of the page, and it says some manuscripts say this, or or this. So yeah. You yeah. Sure. Important? Sure. I'm sorry, (laughs) or the meaning, yeah, I mean, that's going to happen, I mean, you know, some of this, for example, the book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Old Testament, it's really, really ancient, and there are Hebrew words that we have no idea what they mean, they only occur once, so you have to go to the Arabic, you have to go to other languages just try to figure it out, I can live with that, that's okay for me, I mean, I don't have to know everything, (laughs) Uh, right, I, I need to know that God loves me. And that Jesus died for me right? But I don't need to know everything But uh, the manuscripts Some people have taken that and, and, and made a career out of that For example Bart Ehrman I don't know how many of you have heard of Bart Ehrman He's a professor in North Carolina uh, A very intelligent man uh, Knows a lot about, uh, about the church fathers and so on But but if you hear his argument He would say something like uh, He'll try to, to, to shock you with his arguments And say something like uh, Did you know that they are Over 5,000 discrepancies between the different manuscripts that make up the New Testament. You read that and you say, now what are the discrepancies? Okay. Uh, Some manuscripts say, Lord. Others say, Lord Jesus. Others say, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, Some say, uh, God. Others say, God our Father. God the Father. You see the vast majority, now there are some that are troublesome. You know, There, there are some that are, that are uh, I don't think, uh, impossible, but there are some that are difficult. But the vast majority of these manuscripts that have come down to us, where there are discrepancies, uh, they are very, very, very minor and very unimportant. Now, uh, what I want to be careful here is, is here's an argument I heard. Uh, okay, it's nine o'clock, but... Uh, you guys just someone want to shut up, okay? Uh, but one of the arguments I heard as a young Christian was this. When you compare the New Testament, the amount of manuscripts with the Odyssey, the Iliad, uh, uh, Hesiod, or whatever, Plato, there are 500 more manuscripts from the Bible than there is from uh, Plato or Homer. That means that... the that means that the Bible is true? No, that just means that there were more Christians reading the Bible than there <laughs> were more people, you know. So some people take that argument and say more manuscripts supporting the New Testament survive than, than what they support Homer. That doesn't prove anything. Okay? That doesn't prove anything. You see? It just proves that, uh, that Christians valued <laughs> the writings of the Bible. Uh, so it maybe indirectly it shows you that, that that they viewed the Bible as the Word of God. But, uh, but that doesn't prove anything. So you have to be careful with some of, some of those apologetic arguments. Uh, they don't, uh, the, the, the logic is it's, it's, it's sort of sketchy. You have to be careful. But, uh, but with those manuscripts, you know, uh, the Bible didn't drop from the, from the sky. Uh, the, the apostles used traditions that were written down. Uh, they thought as they wrote. It is probable that Paul, when he wrote uh, First Timothy, 2 uh, Timothy, and Titus, it's probably that he used a secretary and gave him a certain an amount a certain amount of freedom in the word in the in the composition. Uh, all of those things, uh, uh, none of those things, get in the way of affirming that the Bible is the Word of God, unless you think that saying the Bible is the Word of God means that God mechanically inspired the Bible. Okay. But few Christians believe that you know when you look at the history of the church and you look at uh, most serious biblical scholars today, they don 't believe that in fact do you know that the idea uh, of a mechanistic inspiration is more pagan than Christian it's actually found more in the uh, in the Greek oracles like Delphi and the uh, Delphic oracles where were the where the, uh, the the woman who gave the, the prophecy uh, you know, just basically went into a trance, uh, and just you know, and and the mind, the thought, uh, the personality of, of 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 the woman was completely out of the picture, and that's what a lot of people think about when they think of the Bible, but that's not what the Bible says about itself. You see, you could tell that, for example, Isaiah, uh, after God gave, gave him those oracles, he thought very carefully about it, right, and so on. So. Uh, I think that's uh yeah, sorry, I went longer on, on that question, but uh yes. I think I'll be happy to take maybe one or two more questions if uh Yeah, yeah, by all means. Since you brought up I was listening to your Uh-huh. yeah um like I said uh I don't agree with his statement, but uh, what is the nature of evidence right uh, how uh, how how does something count as evidence in an ancient writing I mean I wasn't there right none of us were there, so in that sense uh it's never gonna be the evidence. Is never gonna be uh, complete in the way that that we may like it, right? Uh, but 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 let me tell. Let me say a couple of things. Uh, when you compare the description of the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels with uh, with healers that exist, you know, healers that existed in the ancient world, the sobriety. Uh, the economy in describing the miracles of Jesus really, really strikes you. you know you, you read them and sometimes like when uh, when he opens the eyes of the blind man uh, uh, and you know is the, you know he takes dirt and puts it in his you know are you what do you see well trees Everybody, people just look like trees well let 's try it again uh, oh now it 's clear that sounds so mundane <laughs> it doesn 't sound miraculous at all, right. But then you compare that with other Roman and Greek healers of the ancient world, and when you see that, when you read the description of their miracles, it's so bombastic. It is so, you know. Uh, and when I read that, it just tells me, you know, these documents don't give me the sense that, that they're embellishing stuff. It just seems, uh, and sometimes that is the only way that uh, that you can. Uh, you can sort of assess the evidence of an ancient writing. It's the texture of it. The, you know, how, how does it sound? You know, C.S. Lewis, for example, uh, who was a, a literary critic, or right, I was the greatest literary critic of his period. He said, having read so much literature, when I come to the writings of the New Testament, they just don't hit me as made-up stuff. They they just look like very sober, very economic in their description. Now that cannot prove, right? That, but it can be suggestive. Uh, it can help. It can help your faith. Um, I would say that someone like Bart Ehrman, he has a code of faith through which he reads the Bible, right? Uh, so to have to have faith as you read the Bible is—I don't see that as a problem. Again, I think that that is that modern scientific mentality. That in order to assess the evidence of something, I, ha- I cannot have anything to do with it. Because if I do, you know, I- I'm going to try to find out the truth about this prisoner, if he killed someone or not. Well, let me not get too close to that person. Let me just, you know, mm, that's, uh, yeah, that mentality, I don't think, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Any other questions? But, but I would uh, let me close with this though uh, two people who are some of the who are some of the greatest exponents of the Bible uh, John Calvin for example the reformer John Calvin uh, that man studied the scripture so much and theology so much and then when I read his book The Institutes, the, Institutes uh, the Christian Institutes he said something that just blew me away he said uh, you come to believe the Bible when the Holy Spirit seals the truth of it in your heart I'm like no I don't want to hear that. I'm a modern man. <laughs> Give me some scientific stuff. You know, that's what hits me. Uh, but, uh, but, but there was science in the time of John Calvin. Uh, and people uh, were starting to think that way. And yet after so much, he says, the Holy Spirit seals it in your heart. And you believe it. Um, and then the other person, and this has more to do with, with the science bit, was a BB Warfield. BB Warfield taught at Princeton, uh, and he was one of the most influential people uh, on on modern evangelicals like us on the truthfulness of the Bible. and And he was a scientist too, uh, and he never saw a dichotomy between between science and, and believing in the Bible as the Word of God as a trustworthy Word of God, and, and at the same time believing in science. So it's a journey. Uh, there are times when you're going to have a hard time. Uh, there are times when there are not quick answers. Uh, one of the things I've learned uh, is that, that you can take your time. Don't throw your faith away. You know, if you have a difficulty with something, you're, oh, I'm going to quit the faith until I find an answer. No, 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 no. Go slowly. Keep coming to church. Keep praying. Even if all you can pray is say, Lord, have mercy. Even if that's the only thing you can do. Uh, but keep keep reading his word. Uh, and, and I think he, he will meet you um, that way.